I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch Podcast. On today's Midweek Extra episode, I'm pleased to have on the program the producer and host of the podcast phenomenon, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Of course, I'm talking about Mike Cosper. By virtually any measure, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill has set a new standard for podcasters in the Christian world. Its episodes have had more than 14 million downloads, frequently ranking at the top of the charts on both Stitcher and iTunes. But perhaps more importantly, the podcast has truly moved the needle regarding how Christians talk about megachurches, platform building, and what I have been calling for a number of years now, the evangelical industrial complex. I think we now have fresh eyes to see both the positive, but also some of the long-term and very real negatives of these phenomena that the rise and fall of Mars Hill talked about so eloquently. My guest today, Mike Cosper, is a former pastor. He spent 16 years as one of the executive pastors at Sojourn Church, watching that church grow from just 12 people in an apartment to 4,000 people in four locations across the city of Louisville, Kentucky. In 2016, he started Narrativo, a company that serves individuals and brands by developing long-form podcasts. And in 2020, he joined the staff at Christianity Today to further develop their podcast network, of which the rise and fall of Mars Hill is the first of what I'm guessing will be many uh, efforts in this arena. Well, Mike Cosper, welcome to the program, and, and I just want to say right up front um, what a fan I am of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. I think that uh, it's just uh, a remarkable achievement, an amazing effort, and um, so congratulations. Thank you so much. Um, I'm glad to be with you, and yeah, that means a lot to hear that from you. Well, and I've got to confess that the comment is at least, you know, 1% self-serving since I am in the podcast for a few minutes. So, um, so there is that. And, uh, but today, Mike, what I wanted to, um, talk to you a little bit about was just the, the making of, um, you know, kind of the reaction that you've had since then uh, to the podcast since it came out, because it was, uh, and and maybe you can tell me whether it still is something of a phenomenon. And um, yeah, and so just, you know, talk about how that's affected your life, how it affected the making of the podcast as you went along. So why, why don't we just kind of start there? Um, were you surprised at the reaction that you got? Yeah, I mean, I think we went into it with a real sense that there would be an audience, um, but not at the scale at which the audience showed up. Um, I thought that this was a podcast where certainly people who'd been connected to Mars Hill, which in and of itself is a big audience, uh, would be interested, but also kind of the whole Acts 29 world. There's 500 churches there. They all had some familiarity with this story. What What surprised me was how much broader the reach was. And in one, you know, in one sense, I guess it shouldn't have been surprising because I, I was making the case even in the early conversations about the podcast that I think much of what we see at Mars Hill um, was essentially Mark doing and saying things very loudly that unfortunately happen at a lot of other places more quietly. Um, the, the phenomenon of sort of power and weakness uh, 
um, and sort of institutional emphasis on sort of growth at all costs and all that kind of stuff. That's why we wanted to tell the story. So I think in, in a sense, like I, I shouldn't be surprised because the formula sort of worked. People found the resonances where we hoped they would. And yeah. And there's something heartbreaking about that too. Well, yeah, of course there is. And, um, and I, and I want to come back to that question in just a minute about the, you know, uh, you were, because you weren't just telling the story of Mars Hill. You were telling in some ways the story of evangelicalism writ large in, you know, the year of our Lord, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022 or whatever. But before I get to that and, and sort of dive into that pool with you, uh, is there anything that you can share with me? I don't know whether you have access to numbers, and if you do have access to numbers, whether sure. you and CT consider them to be proprietary. But um, do you have any idea how many people actually did listen? I know I was seeing it show up mm-hmm. in on Stitcher, for example, in the top 100 podcasts. And I don't mean just the top 100, you know, faith podcasts. I mean right. the top 100 total podcasts. Yeah. Uh, that must have been, you know, kind of beyond y'all's wildest dreams. Yeah, we had, uh, by the end of the year, we had over 14 million downloads on the series. Um, so, you know, more than a million per episode um, for for 2021. And, you know, some people who've been sort of in the podcast world and, you know, watch this stuff closely have said, yeah, that, and it'll have a long tail. So we think it'll continue um, continue to draw an audience. We we hit number three on the Apple Podcast charts overall for a, for a few weeks, um, and yeah, I mean, it was like I said a moment ago. I mean, that was that element of it was definitely surprising. I mean, the degree to which it went there is a shock. Yeah. Well, um, and and again, I do want to come back to this whole question of evangelicalism writ large. But since we're talking about the numbers, did, did you? F- I, and I and I know that it's uh, a little bit different, you know, being in your um, underground bunker t- producing your. I'm joking, but you know, it's 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 different. Yeah, it's different from being Mark Driscoll, mm-hmm. you know, on a platform. And but in some ways, did you worry, or did you get a taste of? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of what made Mark Driscoll and mm. also what brought Mark Driscoll down? Did you ever at some point worry that you were criticizing a medium, a venue, a form uh, that you were honestly being a real beneficiary of? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I, I think one of the sort of weird elements of all this is that the whole thing happened during COVID. I mean, I did this whole project from my home office. Um, there was, there was one interview that was face to face with somebody who happened to be, you know, in, in Louisville and otherwise everything else was, was online. So I think that definitely made a difference. You know, I'm not, I'm not traveling around. I'm not walking into a room and seeing people kind of react. Um, and I'm certainly thankful for that. Um, I'm thankful for friends and family that, you know, are not impressed (laughs) By the download numbers, you know, certainly not impressed enough to uh, change the way the way we connect and relate. And so, yeah, I I can't say I experienced other than sort of social media. My social media experience changing pretty dramatically because um, I was a big Twitter user, and and now I'm not. Um, other other than that, I can't say I experienced a ton of sort of life transformation from it. 
Um, uh, well, let, hold, hold on just a second, Mike, because you just said something that's interesting, mm-hmm. and I want to get it get it uh, out of the way before we move on. So you're not you you got off of Twitter because of this? No, I, I didn't get off entirely, but I used to be. I mean, I would have you know uh, described myself as a Twitter junkie. You know, in the years you know since Twitter came out, I, I've always loved Twitter and sort of loved the medium. Um, but what I found is sort of the because the sort of the circle expanded, I mean, my my numbers, you know, went through the roof in terms of followers compared to what I'd had before. It's still small compared to what real celebrities have. You know what I mean? This is this is a fifteen minutes thing. Like I'm not, but it it changed in the in the sense that there were a lot of people who were following who had no context for who I was, what I did on Twitter in the past. You know, the amount of complaining I do about the Indianapolis Colts, like all that kind of stuff is was sort of new. And everything became kind of reactive to the podcast in ways that were like, wait a minute, like I made a joke about, you know, people celebrating my daughter's birthday and, you know, all of us and, and all of a sudden there's this flood of just nasty comments and stuff. I was like, okay, the, the world has changed. So um, that definitely was a, was a transition. Yeah. Well, uh, let's now go to that question that we kind of hinted around earlier, that, that this podcast in some ways was not just about Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill, but about evangelicalism writ large. And and let me again stipulate for the record what a huge fan I am of the podcast and the work that you did there. But uh, I will say that, uh, you know, in preparation for this interview, Mike, I, I did a little bit of searching around the interwebs, and there was some criticism of of that very feature of the podcast that that um, that it was trying to say too much about evangelicalism just based on this story. That this mm-hmm. one story of Mark Driscoll, while important and while it does say a lot, doesn't say everything, and that that um, that the podcast from time to time. Um, was in danger of losing the plot, so to speak. Maybe, mm-hmm. for example, whenever it um, made some of the side trips into um, um, Josh Harris and some of the other things, for example. Sure. Which, I mean, uh, how do you? Resp- First of all, do you do you read the critics? Do you care? Did you do you see their point uh, or not? Yeah, I, I read some of the critics. I you know try to be discerning about like whose whose voices. Particularly, like whose voice is engaged, um, you know, with with a certain amount of like sincerity, earnestness. You know, who cares about the community and the the outcome of this, rather than sort of who's lobbing bombs and you know, even to a certain extent, like who's making it personal. Um, I think, you know, I I I don't think we did the, a perfect job by any means. I also don't know that I have enough distance from it yet. To really be able to say, okay, this is what I would do different. I'm sure yeah. if we talk this summer, I probably can. Um, you know, I'm I'm at I'm at a moment now as we're starting to ready these bonus episodes to release. Um, I'm kind of like, should I be revisiting the whole thing? You know, listen to the whole thing again, which I probably probably am going to do this week. Um, I think um, that question of how much does this reflect on evangelicalism as a whole is a really, really important one. Um, and we didn't, you know, we didn't try to draw a hard line to answer that question deliberately. Um, I think there's a lot about the podcast where we don't draw hard lines about, you know, this happened because of this theological issue or this happened because of that. 
because it's just the reality is just a lot more complex than that. You know, the things that happened happened for 900 reasons and because of the people who were in the room who were formed by stories and blah, 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 blah. You can go on and on and on. Um, yeah. My hope is when it comes to some of those questions and when it comes to some of those issues, I mean, the appeal we did directly, directly make in the podcast is, hey, don't look away from this. Like, look at the damage. Look at the heartbreak. Look at what happened to the lives and the relationships of these people. Um, and look how at the center of it was an institution so focused on results that it was bending over backwards in profound ways to insulate and protect somebody um, who in no way was representative of the character of a pastor and an elder, according to the New Testament. Right. You mentioned several times throughout the podcast, I remember most notably towards the end of the podcast, but I think you also mentioned it elsewhere, that you tried repeatedly to get Mark Driscoll to, um, to you know, uh, to get an interview with Mark Driscoll. Yeah. And obviously he did not do that. I, but just by the way, back in 2014, when I was reporting on the story in real time back then, I tried repeatedly to get Mark on the phone and did once. Uh, he hung on the phone with me for about a minute. Mm. Uh, I answered or I asked my first question and he said, um, I don't think this is going to work out today. Mm. And literally hung up on me. Mm. <laughs> so I so I feel your pain in that regard. But is there anybody else that you wanted other than Mark himself that you wanted to interview that you just were not able to? Yeah, we, we mentioned this on the finale, but you know, we had we had hoped to have some conversations with Acts 29 leaders about all of this. Um, you know, they have Acts 29 has walked an interesting road in the seven years since uh, since the closing of Mars Hill. Um, Matt Chandler made the decision to kick Mark out of Acts 29. I mean, that's a that's a big bold move. Um, even in the midst of that crisis and and the conflict, it was a big move. Um, you know, they went through another scandal with with Steve Timmis a few years later, um, and then they've you know they've made a, adaptations and adjustments to kind of how do they screen people and how do they hold people accountable, and they've kicked some churches out, as I understand. So I would have loved to have sort of had that conversation and and understood that. I think, um, you know, because of uh, concerns about how. Um, you know, because of concerns about how they sort of manage their story, tell their story, and that sort of thing, um, there was reticence on their part and reticence on the part of some other people that we reached out to to step into something where, hey, this is narrative journalism. We're going to talk. It's going to be edited, you know, and all that, which at a certain level I understand. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, we mentioned on that episode, we would have loved to have talked to Matt Chandler, um, several X39 folks, Tim Keller, John Piper. Um, and you know the doors are the doors are still open. There's there's still some possibilities of some things happening later on that that um, we'll we'll talk about as as we find out. So, well, I want to come back to that question too in just a minute. Yeah. Like, what what are you planning next? But yeah. before I do that, I want to I want to go back to the beginning and maybe the genesis story of the podcast because I'm trying to imagine the conversation, and I don't even know who the decision makers are there, but I would assume that Tim Dalrymple would have been one of them. Mm -hmm. the, the um and you guys are like um like how, what did that sound like did did you go to them with this idea mm -hmm. and if so what was the original idea and i asked the second part of that question in part for this reason mike and it which is that 
it doesn't appear to me that what ended up going on the air was what you guys had originally planned, mm -hmm. that you were delaying episodes mm -hmm. because they weren't yet in the can. It strikes me that this was – once you got into it and once you began to realize what a phenomenon it was becoming, that there was a – at least some re-engineering mm -hmm. in the process. Am I right about that? Is that accurate? Yeah. So to just walk through the story, um, yeah, I joined joined the staff at CT. Um, it'll be two years ago on February 1st. So uh, yeah, very early on in the conversation, we this idea of the podcast came up. It's something I've been producing podcasts pretty much full-time since 2016 when I, when I left full-time ministry. And... Um, this was an idea in the back of my head for for a little bit because I had, you know, I had some relationships with people at this church. Um, again, we mentioned this in the first episode, but I was a pastor for 15 years. Our church was part of Acts 29 for some of those years. Uh, we left in 2010 for a variety of reasons, and happy to talk about that. But um, you know, I'd seen what happened to people in this church. Um, my own community went through a, a similar leadership crisis that resulted in the lead pastor resigning. And I just saw it happening over and over again. I mean, I could, you know, I, I could name another dozen churches with the same phenomenon of a pastor being being let go or sort of forced to resign um, or pressured to resign, not because of sex, not because of money, not because of substance abuse, but because of bullying, domineering, character, unfit, um, an elder. And so what appealed to me about the Mars Hill story, I mean, for one, I had the relationships where I thought, I think these people might talk to me. And many of them had never spoken on the record before. In fact, I think most of the voices that we featured prominently in the podcast hadn't spoken before, um, with one or two exceptions. Um, and then second was because Mark was this online phenomenon and because he had no filter, because he would stand in the pulpit and talk about wanting to beat up his own elders, you just had this archive of tape that told the story in and of itself. Um, so yeah, I mean, I came in, came in. We we started talking about it very early on. We we really began production uh, summer twenty twenty one. Started you know started the research, the interviews, all of that kind of stuff, and got a lot of no's from people who were discouraged about what we might do, didn't want to go on the record. Um, you know, Jesse Bryan talks about it on the podcast. He says, you know, most of us didn't want to talk to you because we worked for the Enron of churches and we didn't want to be associated with it again. You know, it took so much to get away from it. But what happened was we, we launched, um, and it was like, uh, it was like year, you know, week, week one or week, week two, I think it was, I get a phone call from a former Mars Hill member saying, hey, have you talked to so-and-so? I think it's really essential that you do. Um, and I said, well, he didn't want to talk to me. But if he's changed his mind, you know, he has my number, you have my number, let's, let's make it happen. And lo and behold, you know, after literally after a couple of weeks of talking on the phone almost every night to this person, they came on the record. Um, and then a few weeks after that, um, particularly after the episode where we talked about the impact Mark had on young men. There were a few people who came forward. There was one that was really particularly funny. I won't, I won't share the name, but um, I got a Twitter DM that said, Hey, you, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned you were curious about how um, this turn of events came about. Like, if you'd like to know, 
give me a call. And so, you know, I, I, I text the guy and he calls me back a few minutes later and, uh, he talked for three straight hours. <laughs> wow. I filled a legal pad with notes. And so it just, yeah, I mean, it was just immediately became clear, like, all right, the arc of the story isn't going to change. And the, the, the most important beats of the story in terms of how we believed it took place, we were open to that changing. It didn't, but we ended up with people who were sort of closer to the center of it than we would have been otherwise. Yeah. So it ended up being, I mean, I haven't done the math on it, but I know a couple of the episodes were very long, the last couple of episodes mm -hmm. in particular. So what, about 15 hours worth of? Yeah, I think that's right. Maybe 17 with the bonus episodes. Yeah. Okay. So um, did, was, did you originally plan for it to be that long? No. <laughs> the plan was 12 episodes, but the plan was 45 to 55 minutes per episode. And um and again, like, you know, with, with sort of the shifting goalposts of the, the new tape we had, the new insights we had, the, you know, particularly when we got to that episode with The Tempest, uh, which was the second to last one where you, you really see the unraveling up close. Right. Um, you know, we, we sort of put together this rough cut, which was actually longer. It was about three hours and 15. And, um, you know, it was like, well, what do we cut? What do we lose? And we, we cut 45 minutes and then we felt like this is it. You know, I think people hang in there for it. Yeah. And they did. Yeah, they sure did. Um, you know, uh, Mike, I was, uh, as you know, because I was, you, you interviewed me for, you know, probably about an hour and I think, uh, you know, three or four or five minutes of that hour ended up in the podcast. And, um, so, you know, and probably a lot of our listeners know that I was reporting on this story probably back in 2013, 2014, 2015. And so maybe I'm a, I'll come to this um, a little bit jaded and a little bit biased uh, and have a little bit different perspective maybe even than you do because I'm always happy when anybody talks to me for whatever reason, when they, fi when they finally find their courage and talk to me. But I've, I've got to confess to you, and I'm just wondering how this hits you, that mm -hmm. when I was listening to your podcast um, – and you were interviewing a lot of people that I talked with, that I interviewed, but they wouldn't go on the record back in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 I found myself from time to time yelling at my <laughs> iPhone. So, oh, so it's easy for you to talk now, but back right. when it would have made a difference, back when it would have actually caused change to occur, you kept your mouth shut, and we're supposed to think you're a hero now? Mm -hmm. I, mean, I will confess that that is not a very Christian attitude, mm -hmm. and certainly not a very journalistic attitude, but I do confess that it is an attitude that I had. When I say mm -hmm. that out loud, how does that hit you? Yeah, it, it hits me two ways. I mean, on one level, I think there's, um, there's nothing untrue or unfair about that assessment, right, as an outsider looking at it. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's part of the problem inside so many of these organizations. Um, it's like the work David French is doing right now with the Canacuck, um, you know, camp stories. When, and just the enormous number of people who were aware of what was happening there and, and said nothing and, and all of that. Um, on, the, on the flip side of it, and... This I'll say for sure about Mars Hill. You know, there, one of the one of the um, 
one of the metaphors that I heard a lot in talking to people was a lot of people read Walter Isaacson's Steve Jobs biography and saw a lot of parallels to kind of life inside the church, particularly in that Mark does have this incredible charm, this incredible skill with words, and this way of and, – and this is one of the things that I, I don't even know that we translated well into the podcast, but it's really easy to listen, even on the podcast, to listen to Mark and go, what is up with this guy? How can you follow this guy? And I always tell people when I when they kind of ask me that question, I'm like, see if you can go spend five minutes in a room with him and tell me if you don't feel a little different about him. Because there's an interpersonal charisma thing that's just incredibly powerful. So I think for a lot of those those people that wouldn't go on the record or that had those concerns, number one, sort of washing that off, like what so what Walter Isaacson referred to it with jobs was that there was just this reality reality distortion field around right. jobs. Yep. He was such a powerful persona. He changed the way you saw everything. And I think Driscoll has a similar effect. I also think the the degree to which on the one hand you feel like you're on God's side and on the other hand you feel like Mark's got you by the throat if you try to if you try to leave um, had a really you know compelling in a negative way um, compulsory effect that that kept people quiet yeah yeah uh, this comment or this question slash comment uh, Micah also is shamelessly self-serving. <laughs> and I just want to I just want to own that up front. But um, if I had personally, like I say, let me just reiterate what a remarkable achievement I think that, you, you know, that this podcast is. But I think if I had one quibble with the podcast, it was that um, the, the reality is that all this stuff about Mark Driscoll was kind of hiding in plain sight for years. Yeah. And it took I think there were two incidents that were that were important. Um, that without which Mark Driscoll would probably still be pastor today because he, as you said, he had the charisma and he had the following and so on that he'd just still be doing his thing because, mm -hmm. I mean, we can look around the evangelical space today and see guys that are still doing their thing after years and years. But I think there were two things that happened. And I, and again, this is shameless, shameless self-promotion, but I do think that, that, uh, the reporting that I did related to the book mm -hmm. buying scandal and the Janet Mefford interview. Uh, I think those two episodes were necessary to help people see that this wasn't just a he said, she said story. That this, mm -hmm. that, that, that this was verifiable wrongdoing with documentation and, if you will, the journalistic goods on Mark Driscoll. And with, without which, I think Mark Driscoll would still be Pastor of Mars Hill Church today. Mm -hmm. Agree or disagree? Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. Um, and and we tried to communicate that. I mean, I think you know there was um, th there was. I think the metaphor we used in the show was this idea that there were like there was almost all that had gone wrong in the years before was like kindling that had been piled up around the around the church for years and years and years. Janet's willingness to just go straight at him in front of a crowd and say, why did you do what you did at John MacArthur's church? Talk to me about the plagiarism in your book. And 
you know, Mark's defensiveness. You know, it, I, I even look at that incident. If Mark had been even just 10% or 20% less sort of self-defensive and abrasive, you know, if he hadn't made the comments, the, you know, the condescending comments about, well, you just sound like you're having a grumpy day here. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I think he he was just defensive enough that she wasn't going to back down and he wasn't going to get a whole lot of sympathy from from his audience. Um, I think the second mistake was, you know, in December as these, you know, kind of um, uh, as all the plagiarism allegations were coming out, all that documentation, um, you know, they they made this effort to kind of quickly go, oh, you know, it was the it was the researcher. Research, yeah, right. The, Yep. You know, and and then you know, I think Andy Crouch's piece that de that December was was a pretty hard stamp on like, no, this matters. We got to pay attention to this. And then, as you said, I wholeheartedly agree. I don't. I think if the results source scandal um, hadn't been you know exposed, and uh, it was one of those things where you know it had been sort of whispered about, it had been whispered about inside Mars Hill, but you were able to do the reporting and nail it down and get it out there. Um, that was just the moment where they couldn't. They couldn't backtrack anymore. So, um, let me let me pivot because uh, Michael, we've got we're kind of coming to the end of um, our time together, and I just wanted to uh, hit a couple of quick um, sort of lightning round questions. Um, what do you do for an encore? I mean, you know, the the rise and fall of Mars Hill is kind of a hard act to follow. Um, yeah. I mean, are are you guys having sort of a a sophomore, you know, there's an old joke about rock bands, you know, that they produce this brilliant first album, oh yeah, and then and then and then they spend the next two years of their lives on the road because everybody wants to see them play, and their second album kind of stinks because of that. I right. mean, are you are you worried about that? Yeah, a hundred percent. Sorry about that. Sorry uh, to raise yeah. that demon no, up. No, and hey, no, you. You, you could uh, you could probably uh, email Tim Dalrymple and 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 Eric P Petrick, and they would confirm for you that I've used that metaphor time and time again. You know the, um, you know the second record is always is always lousy, and and I think oftentimes part of the reason that second record slump happens is. You know, there's a there's an urgency to go. Well, let's get the next one out there as quick as we can. You know, and capitalize on the um, audience that you've created. With that's the, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it's, instead it's, of the, in some ways, you're becoming what you mm -hmm. hate, right? Yeah. Instead of the patience necessary to like, you know, for music anyway, it's like most most artists' first records are part of the reason they're great is because they spent ten years writing those songs and performing them before they got signed, and now they've got to in eighteen months do another twelve and. Anyway, um, so anyway, keep going. So what what are you what are you doing to combat that? Yeah, I would say, I mean, what's before us right now? We have some bonus episodes coming, and I can I can talk about those if you'd like. Sure. Um, but I think we have a couple of other new projects that are that are in development at CT that will be coming out in uh, later this later this spring um, that I'm not directly hosting, um, but I'm involved in the production, and then. There's, I guess, uh, with, without without giving it all away, there's there's two to three kind of big idea podcast I projects that we're talking about for um, for the next one. And I, I imagine we'll nail down the premise in the next few weeks, and you know, um, that'll that'll take over my life after that. So, yeah. um, but I'm pretty excited about. it. I mean, I think it'll, it'll definitely be different. Um, we don't intend to kind of jump from Mark Driscoll to another fallen pastor. 
Um, I don't personally, I'm, I mean, honestly, I don't want to live in that world if I don't have to live with another um, one of those experiences for that long. Um, and because I think there's other kinds of stories to tell about the church that are just as important and just as revealing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, in closing, tell us about the bonus episodes. Those are coming out when and what are they yeah. going to be about? Yeah. So we'll, we we should have those ready to release, um, uh, you know, probably the first week, of, first week of February or so will be the first of those. Um, you know, we're going to do, there'll be an episode that's kind of like clips from the cutting room floor, stuff that didn't quite fit the, the story, but we think are interesting or worth telling or revisiting or um, or funny or whatever the case might be. Um, and so that's a chance to just explore some side roads. Um, we're going to have a, an episode that's all about what I think this story reveals about institutions um, and how, you know, part of part of the Mars Hill story is the failure of sort of every institution that was associated with him or that was formed around him failing to actually be able to develop and conform him, um, hold him accountable and anything like that. And how that's a failure that goes far beyond, you know, the Mars Hill story. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to talk about the spiritual development for, for pastors and leaders. Um, why do people often get stuck at a certain stage? Um, and then we're, we're going to have some really great roundtable discussions. We're going to do one, uh, a broader roundtable discussion about deconstruction and a roundtable discussion about sort of post-traumatic growth, like after spiritual abuse, what does healing and moving forward look like? Mm, great. Well, God bless you in those efforts. Um, if, if they are uh, half as good as uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, uh, the core program, then I'm excited about listening to him. So a lot, I'm just an unabashed fan, Mike. Congratulations again on mm. this uh, remarkable achievement. I think you raised the bar on um, podcasting for everybody in the Christian media world, and um, and that's a real accomplishment. I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Warren. Thanks for your reporting on the story, and uh, thanks for talking to me for the podcast as well. You bet. My pleasure. Blessings. You've been listening to my conversation with Mike Cosper, the creative force behind the podcast phenomenon, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Before we go, a quick reminder that this show exists because of the generosity of readers and listeners like you. We take no money from the ministries we cover. There's no advertising on our website. We are completely listener and reader funded. If you'd like to make a donation to Ministry Watch, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the Donate tab at the top of the page. And if money's a little tight right now, hey, I get it. I've been there a time or two myself. You can still help the program. Just rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the higher we rank with search engines, and that means that other people can find us more easily. Rating us just takes a second, doesn't cost you a dime. It's a free, easy, and important way that you can support the Ministry Watch podcast. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosell and Ben Warwick. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, and until next time, may God bless you.